We've sung a lot about Jesus. We have celebrated what he's done for us. There may be some here today that says, Pastor, I don't really know a whole lot. I'm just kind of getting started. There may be others you haven't been to church in a long, long time. There may be some streaming that are just curious. So I'll keep it short and simple. Why are we celebrating him? There's an expression we use today. That expression is checking all the boxes. Those words have probably escaped your lips more than once recently. That's an expression we use today. It simply means to fulfill all the requirements of a particular situation. If you have completed everything that was expected, you have checked all the boxes. Typically, as we're going through something and others especially are watching over us, you may say, check. As something is accomplished, check. And it just kind of brings an accountability to a situation, knowing that, yeah, I'm being monitored. In Matthew 11, we find a question. It came from John. We know him as the baptizer, actually a cousin of Jesus the forerunner of Jesus, the Bible declares. And by this time, when he's prosing this question, we find out that he has been jailed. And in that prison, he's already received the death sentence. He knows that life is just about over for him. A couple of disciples of Jesus came to him, and they asked of him certain things. And finally, John looks at them and said, I just want to ask one thing. When you get back to him asking, are you the one? Are we yet to look for another? That question is still being asked today. You may be asking that in your mind. You may have been churched a long time, but you are coming to this place where is he really the one? Is he worth living my life for what he's taught? Is he the Messiah? Did he check all the boxes? The Urban Dictionary says it this way. It says it shows you very clearly the truth about that situation. So did he check the boxes? We... As we study Scripture, in the Old Testament, we find 324 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. 48 of those promises were directly to the one who would be Messiah. 48. Now, when you take that particular Situation, 48 prophecies to be fulfilled by one person. A well-known mathematician, Peter Stoner, kind of tried to let us understand what that would look like. If one person would fulfill those 48 messianic promises, it would be one in 10 with 157 zeros. 
We can't imagine it. The best of us that would be considered mathematicians, maybe equivalent to Peter Stoner, could have a hard time grasping that. So Peter Stoner put it this way. He said if he just fulfilled eight of the promises in his lifetime, what would that look like? And that would be one in ten with 17 zeros following. So those of you that are crunching the numbers on your phones right there, what an incredible number for just eight of 48 messianic prophecies. For those of us that's not good at math, you know who you are. We'll try to give a visual. And that would be take that same number, 1 in 10 with 17 zeros following, and turn them into silver dollars. How many would like to do that? Let me show you what that would look like. That means you could go to Texas and cover the face of Texas real estate two feet Texas is 268, 597 cubic miles, square miles, excuse me, square miles. So, of course, I wanted to go a little further. For those of you that are really good, that's 7.5 trillion square feet, two feet deep. If he would have fulfilled just eight. So is he checking all the boxes for us or not? When Jesus hung on that cross, we have record through four Gospels of six different statements, excuse me, seven different statements that was made over a six-hour period. I'm not going to go through all the suffering and all the mockery, all the pain, the whipping, all these things. But as he had walked via Dolorosa, now nailed to that tree and raised up six more grueling hours, the first thing that escapes his lips is, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. These words of forgiveness, the power of forgiveness is indescribable, really. Have you ever received forgiveness from someone? And have you offered forgiveness to someone else? A name that some of you will recognize, others have never heard the name of Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom, his entire family, was involved in what was known as the, the Dutch resistance against the Nazis in World War II. 1944, all of her family was incarcerated, divided. She would lose all of her family. They would all perish before the end of the war, including her sister, Betsy. The two of them were incarcerated in Ravensbrück concentration camp, a camp for women only. Toward the end of their time there, Betsy would succumb to the elements. She would die. Corey Ten Boom, by a clerical error, was discharged 10 days 
before all women her age would be murdered. Two years later, 1947, the close of the war, 1947, she returns to Germany to speak at a church. As she is there speaking, giving her testimony, sharing about the love of God, what she had experienced, she made the statement that God is capable of forgiving us. So much so that every sin we've ever committed could be forgiven and cast into the largest ocean possible and be ta- just drown itself in the bottom of that ocean. She had noticed as she was speaking there was a particular man there she recognized. It took her breath. He was one of the tormentors at Ravensbrook. He had tormented her many times. He was a guard there. He didn't recognize her. He walked up to her after service and he said, may I speak to you a moment? She said, okay. He said, you said that God can forgive all sins, any sin. You see, I've done some things I'm not proud of. I've done some things I can't hardly forgive myself over. I was a guard at Ravensbrook. Of course, in her mind, she already knew. He said, I'm struggling with this thing. I became a Christian since then, but uh, the, the theater of my mind, what I've seen, what I've experienced, can God really forgive me for what I've done? He looked at her and he said, can I hear those words from you? I know you were at Ravensbrook. Can you say to me that you forgive me? Corey's own testimony said her blood ran cold. She paused, struggled, and said a simple prayer. Jesus, I can lift my hand toward him, but you've got to put the feeling in my heart. She said, I felt warmth like I'd never experienced. And she looked at this man that had been her tormentor and said, I forgive you. I forgive you with all of my heart. Father, forgive them. You know, he had us in mind. Those words of forgiveness. After that, he would say to a thief that was sung about, Today, you will be with me in paradise. These words of salvation. Why did Jesus say that to him? Because the thief had turned to him and said, Would you remember me as you go into your kingdom? That word, remember, should speak to all of us. Because you see, that's exactly what God does. He remembers. The Bible uses that expression multiple times. After the entire world except Noah and his immediate family was lost, perished, and it had been a year, the Bible says, and God remembered Noah and the animals. And he gave them a place of shelter, a place to start over. 
How many of us have experienced God remembering us and giving us a fresh start? Rachel, her sister was having children, as we would say today, left and right. Boy after boy, six of them. Rachel said, I'm barren. The Bible says that God remembered Rachel. And therefore, we got Joseph, later Benjamin. The Israelites had been in bondage for decades, for years, for generations, 400 years. Moses had already escaped Egypt after his rise and his fall there. And as he's in the land of Midian, God said, Moses, I remember them. It's time for them to be delivered. You see, that's what God does. That's why we can look at that thief today with assurance and say, as Jesus was answering his question, truly today, you'll be with me in paradise. And then he would just simply look to his mother and say, woman, behold your son. He turned to John. John, didn't call him by name, actually. He just said, behold your mother. This whole thing about relation, these words of love and care on the cross, hanging on that cross in such agony, such pain. If you ever questioned, can God really love you? <laughs> you see, it's the reason he looked at his mother, didn't call her by her name, or even mother called her woman. You say, man, it's kind of cold. No, you see. He didn't give John's name either. He just said, behold your mother. It is about relationship. That's why we do what we do today. That's why we share the good news. It's not enough just to know about God. You have to be in relationship. And the only way you can be in relationship is through the Son. To be heirs of God, children of God. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And then he would cry from that cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These words of spiritual suffering. If you read that real quickly, if you're just reading the Bible and not know much about it, you're like, yeah. Now knowing what he went through, yeah, I, I would feel that way. Man, where are you now? God, why have you left me? That's not what this statement is. Because if you'll just think a little deeper in that, he wasn't cursing the Father. He was speaking to him. Why? I'm not going to go to anybody else. I'm talking to you. Again, this time of suffering is for us. I don't have to ask for a raise of hands. Every hand would go up. How many of us can say, you know, I've prayed. But there's been times in my life where I didn't think God was within a million miles. How many times have we said something like, you know, my prayers, they, just, they don't even get to the ceiling before they fall flat. The emotions of the moment the lack of evidence that we want to see in that moment. Why have you forsaken me, God? 
I go to church. I pay tithe. I'm a good boy. I'm a good girl. Hey, I'm so-and-so's son. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I mean, all the different statements. You see, what he was actually doing was checking a box. He was quoting Psalms 22 by just starting off those words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You get the privilege of gaining the whole Psalm 22. And there, when you read it through, you realize, yes, there are times we do feel forsaken, but we, through the emotions and the process, we still know that God is faithful. The listeners that day, they didn't have Google. Can you imagine life without Google? <laughs> Siri, where are you now? I heard that woman speaking in my kitchen this morning. My wife went upstairs. I just walked in, Google, stop. And he quit. Amazing. He was declaring Psalms 22. They, they weren't in a time of having the privilege of the things we have today. They constantly meditated upon the word, had, had memorized, especially the Psalms. And as those words came from his lips, everybody there realized, oh, he's, he's captured all of the 22nd Psalm. We've all been there feeling forsaken. But no matter how I feel and what I may endure, he is still my refuge and my strength. From that time, the last three hours on the cross, there would be nothing but darkness and silence, deafening silence, until finally he would cry out, I thirst. What he was once again doing was checking another box, Psalm 69 describing exactly what the Messiah would have to go through. Isaiah 53 had already declared him to be the suffering servant. Why so strange to have this expression in the Bible, but it was fulfilling, checking another box. <laughs> Finally, in that very same moment, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit why would he say that? Because it's words of devotion, trust. But he was checking another box. Psalm 35, fulfilling, checking boxes all the way to the very end. In that very moment, as he committed his spirit in the temple, the veil inside that building, that heavy curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies would literally tear apart just like his own physical body that we serve communion today, reminding us of opening up a way. I love this expression. And as we close today, there are those that call this 
the thin places where heaven and earth actually meet. There are those places on the planet. We know that Jacob had that experience. We talk about Jacob's ladder. We talk about Bethel, the house of God. God was here and I didn't even recognize. Have you ever had a Bethel in your life? That moment where you, did, you weren't looking for God. God, where are you? Maybe you've forsaken me or maybe just nonchalantly and all of a sudden, that thin place he gives us those moments, those encounters to reveal, oh, he's really that close. Just the whisper of his name. And finally, he would say, it is finished. The word of triumph. You see... This is exactly how the Bible declares it. In John 19, 28 says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all now was finished, check, check, check. Now knowing all was finished to fulfill Scripture, he said, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. In the English, we have three words there. But in the Hebrew, it's one word. To tell us die. After he had said, I thirst, Father, I, I commit my spirit to you. Don't miss this. Because it's for all of us today. To tell us die. To tell us die. You could hear the word tell. You see, the work of the gospel was finished, every box checked. Not only eight messianic prophecies, not only all 48 messianic, 324 prophecies. So John, yes, today, 2023, we'll answer your question. Is he the one? Or are we to look for another? He's the one for me. He's the one for me. He checked all the boxes. But that word, to telestai, that in the English we get words such as telescope, telephone. We understand a telescope helps us see things far away. Telephone helps us talk to people, to hear people far away. And so it is to telestai. Would you stand with me today? What he spoke from that cross in a voice of triumph, it is finished. His work was finished. But the gospel continues to reach to those who were far away at the time. That includes us. 